Utility Fleet World. This is Kurt Moreland, Associate Publisher with Utility Fleet Professional. We've got another episode here of Under the UFP Hood. You know, I talk to a lot of fleet managers, and this is not only for utility fleet managers, but all fleet managers. And one of the things that I constantly hear is that they like getting telematic reports and data, but it's kind of like drinking from a fire hose. It's just too much. So I asked uh, Paul Milner of Utilimark to be our guest today to kind of explain what Utilimark does and how they can help fleet managers. So Paul, welcome and uh, feel free to introduce yourself. Thanks, Kurt. Um, yeah, I'm Paul Milner. I've been an analyst with Utilimark for the past 10 years. I'm currently serving as the director of analytics at Utilimark. That's awesome. And how did you get to uh, work with Utilimark? How did you get connected with him? Sure. Um, it's honestly, it's just kind of luck, really. It was my first job out of college. I studied uh, theoretical math and philosophy. And one of my professors basically said, apply to anything that has analyst in the title. Uh, they'll like the way you think. And I, I met the guys at Utilimark and they were great. And I've been there ever since. So. That sounds fantastic. And so for those who don't know about Utilimark, Blaine, what Utilimark does and how they service fleet managers. Sure. Um, so we position ourselves kind of as a, a software and a service industry, providing analytical services to uh, the fleet industry generally. We got our start as a benchmarking company about 20 years ago. That's for specifically for the utility industry. That's how Utilimark got its name. We're not that clever. We just combined utility and benchmark together. But we've uh, expanded our services quite a bit since then, um, servicing additional verticals besides the utility industry. We work with municipals, some delivery fleets, some construction fleets as well. And beyond the benchmarking, we're doing um, dashboarding, sort of consulting. We do a lot today around right sizing. And of course, electrification is a big topic for all of our clients as well. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I'm really proud of our industry because I've always thought utility fleet managers have kind of led the way when it comes to telematics and, and technology. Um, do you also help them with alarms or onboard cameras or anything like that? Or do you focus specifically on data collection? So we um, we resell Geotab, but that's the only hardware that we're directly involved with. Um, and, and partly we just do that because it's a good data stream. We're pretty agnostic. If people already have a temp telematics device, you know, we'll, we'll ingest that information. Almost all those telematics providers have ways that you can ingest the data into uh, whatever data warehouse is available. Uh, the cameras is, is interesting um, because, you know, obviously it provides a different service by having a hard camera on your there on the vehicle itself. But a lot of the technology inside that camera can actually sort of replace the telematics device as well. So we have ingested some data from those those camera systems, but we're not doing anything specifically with the video feeds yet. Um, it's just that those cameras happen to provide a lot of telematics information as well. Wow, that's awesome. And yeah, near the end, we'll talk a little bit about looking in the crystal ball and, you know, maybe what the, the future looks like. But you mentioned electrification. And uh, of course, sustainability is a big, um, you know, word in our market right now. Tell us, what are you guys seeing as far as uh, EVs and electrification going on with some of your clients? 
Sure. And it's, it's kind of a story of, of two verticals because utility is our oldest industry that we've serviced. We also service uh, city, state, county, municipalities. So I'll, I'll try to distinguish which vertical I'm talking about. Um, on the municipal side, they've had their toes in, in electrification for quite a long time, but the data has been somewhat odd, right? We've, we've seen that generally speaking, the electric sedans that they've purchased have had 30 to 40% of the utilization of, of their traditional ICE vehicles. Um, and that, that's made making analyzing that information a little difficult because it's not, they're, they're clearly not using it the same way that their gas sedan equivalents would be driven. So it's hard to make a comparison of how they're performing. Um, the utility side of things, you know, the sedan isn't really a bread and butter truck for the utility industry. It makes up less than 3% of, of the fleet mix in the industry that we work with. So it's not really that exciting, but what people are excited about is the pickup truck class. Uh, and, and everybody is basically clamoring to get a hold of that. So information. So we've kind of encountered this problem where, you know, everybody's getting the vehicles that they can have, but nobody has enough data to really make a good judgment on how well this equipment is performing. So one of the things that we're doing for our clients today is we've created this electric vehicle consortium where we're partnering with all these different folks to try to collect information on all of the electric vehicles that they provide, whether it's sedans, pickup trucks, vans, and being able to basically leverage the collaborative effort of that data to hopefully get information about how this new technology is performing, you know, before we, things start breaking down in the next couple of years. So. Yeah. So you're seeing trends in the pickup trucks, which we've heard quite a bit of buzz about the, the lightning and the, the Rivian and that. And um, overall, do you think that you're seeing an increase in uh in evs or or have they kind of been on board early on and it's kind of flattened out would you say so on the sedan side i can quote like really dramatic statistics and basically say like the number of electric sedans have doubled every year for the past five years that's a true statistic but the reality is the counts are so small that it's easy to double right yeah. uh on on the pickup truck side it seems like everybody's just been getting hit with delays on the delivery of the vehicles, right? So so even if folks committed to purchasing, you know, the Ford Lightnings, they haven't been delivered. They the the delivery just keeps getting pushed back and back. So yeah, um, unfortunately our sample sizes are less than a hundred, right, on 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 the pickup trucks right now, which is pretty small for for the normal size of data that we're dealing with on on the utility side of things. But the the nice thing is we're, we're setting up these partnerships with these different companies. So as these vehicles start to come in service, we'll be able to start gathering that information and providing uh, insight to the industry. Now, Alltech ha and some other companies, Terex, I think has them too, the hybrid versions of the truck, which is effectively like a diesel truck that has a battery pack that can be used to operate the, the bucket or any of the PTO equipment uh, associated with the vehicle. So we do have folks who are pursuing that type of equipment. Um, and there's been some success, some not success associated with that technology. No, I was going to say, I, I think uh, Van Air uh, is a company that's entered that market as well. You know what? You bring up an interesting subject. Like sometimes when I'm meeting with our readers, and speaking of the bucket trucks, they talk about that for idle reduction, they can actually measure 
whether the bucket is in the cradle or not. Mm -hmm. Um, can, can you educate me a little bit on that? Like, um, how they collect that data and how that helps them with uh, reduce idling? Yeah, so it depends on your telematics provider, but but those telematics devices usually will have the option to actually wire into the PTO to basically connect to those sensors to figure out if the boom is, we call it, out of still. Now, now this is more difficult, right, because you're the easiest telematics device just plugs right in OBD2 port, right? And then you get everything, but you you actually have to go through additional installation steps in order to interface with the hydraulic in order to get capture that type of information. It it's it's pretty interesting. Um you know, some of the data that we've collected like once you take into account some of the drive times that we've seen on on these heavier duty buckets, right? You're talking, you know, an 8-hour day, you know, the crew gets there, um, they they drive to the site, they set up the vehicle, and then like I, I think one of the clients we worked with, their average boom uptime was only actually like an hour and a half out of an eight hour day because by the time they got there, set up, up oh, lunch bell, um, you know, so <laughs> so it's just some crazy things, and and that was one particular example, but it's been interesting to have access to that data because we were be able to take that to their operations folks and basically say, hey, because of the driving times associated with this, does it make more sense to have these crews do four 10-hour days to try to maximize the time the bucket's actually up in the air doing that work? And they actually did go ahead and implement that change um, at specific locations where they had that issue. This is great information. And so uh, people who follow the podcast know that I always like to take a bit of an intermission with a wildlife or um celebrity encounter and I'm I'm actually going to call in one of your coworkers here Gretchen Reese who's on the line with us um Gretchen you have a cabin up in the woods um do, have you ever run into any bears Yes I sure have so we actually have a couple of families of bears um couple mamas and she usually has about two or three cubs every year and uh once I was actually driving back to my cabin and uh just for a bit of context my aunt has a place that's a couple doors down from us so we were just rounding the curve right by her home, and we see this deer walking around and then shoot out of the bushes. And then not long after that, we see a little black bear rambling around the baby, and then the mother comes up and then stands up in the middle of the road because she's getting really big. She sees the car that is driving very close towards her. And of course, at this point, we had slowed down. We'd stopped because we're like, oh, baby bear. Um, and then we saw the very protective mother stand up, the baby finished crossing. Two more little ones ran by. She got down, walked across, and didn't see her again after that. Well, that's good. You were in a car, though, right? I was in a car. I was not on foot. I've never seen a bear when I've been on foot, although I've been told, uh, basically, if you see a baby, don't get any closer because you know mom is nearby. Yeah, I was going to ask you. I mean, I know you guys aren't bear experts, but you are in Minnesota. You know, what? what is the... Um, what is the standard procedure when you see a black bear? Aren't you supposed to like be big and noisy or something like that? Yes, big and noisy for sure. Um, basically, any noise you can make. My neighbor up at my cabin prefers frying pans, banging them together to scare them away from the bird feeders. But uh, basically, you either start talking a lot, so you make a lot of noise by clapping, and you make yourself as big as possible. But don't get any closer. You don't want to run because they can run fast up to about 30 miles an hour. They're fast animals. Um, but 
black bears are typically harmless. They're mostly herbivores, so they're not going after people. Uh, but you don't want to get between a mother bear and her cubs. That's that's for sure. <laughs> no matter whether they're vegetarian or not. Yeah, real quick. I mean, uh, I love to travel. If anybody gets up around Duluth, Minnesota, um, I think an hour or two north there is Orr, Minnesota, and they actually have a black bear research park. And it's like going out on somebody's deck in their house. There's no bars. There's no fences. The black bears are just wandering around like if you had a herd of black bears in your backyard. It's pretty freaky at first, but um, once you realize they mean you no harm, it's pretty cool. Yeah, they actually used to have um, a black bear up in Cook County that really liked orange crust, so they would keep an orange crust out on the deck, and the bear would come and would bite off the top of it and just drink a bottle of orange crust whenever there was one left out. So it became a tourist thing where you'd buy a bottle of orange crust for the bear and leave it out, and the bear would come get it. Well, I love orange crush. So now I, that only confirms that I was a, I was a bear in my previous life. So there you go. <laughs> All right, we'll bring you back in here. Uh, uh, talk a little more business. You know, um, shop maintenance, uh, preventative maintenance. There's a lot you can do with telematics. Tell us, you know, what what are you doing with with some of your clients? What are the areas that you're measuring to help them? with preventative uh, maintenance and also like supply chain to maybe get some lead times or something. Sure. Uh, on the preventative maintenance and kind of in line with the telematics uh, data stream, what a lot of our clients have wanted to start doing is updating their scheduling practices so that historically they've used, you know, time or mileage, but more often than not, just time to, to indicate, you know, it's been three months, come in for your PMA or whatever it might be, whatever your schedule might be. And they've wanted to utilize the telematic systems to to make that more accurate so that if you have one vehicle that in that same three months is driving, you know, twice the mileage, right? Let's get it in when it hits that mileage trigger. And having the telematics data gives you the granularity with how much that vehicle is moving to say, okay, well, if it hits that threshold or the time threshold, um, then we can pull it in. But, you know, telematics gives you a lot more sensors than just that, right? You've got sensors on how much oil life, how much life is left in the oil. We call it oil life as, as a percentage. Um, and that can be a trigger, you know, engine hours can be a trigger. There's all different kinds of factors that you can use to set up triggers um, to basically pull in, notify you that this vehicle should be pulled in for an, an earlier for a scheduled PM associated with that asset. Yeah, I would think that would help people with the supply chain because I still hear echoes of supply chain. So if you're using data, wouldn't that allow you to predict when you need batteries, when you need tires, things like that? Yeah, I think I think so in, in some capacity. And in, in the supply chain issue, I, I have to be clear when I'm talking pe to people because the, one, you have the supply of parts and one, you have the supply of vehicles. And they're, they're, they're different issues that we have different amounts of grievances on. Um, parts, parts cost has been a big issue for a lot of our clients this year. Um, I think industry-wide between the, our last full year of calendar information was 2022. Uh, we saw a 20% increase in parts cost across the industry in 2022. It just hit everybody last year. Uh, and and we really hadn't seen that. Like, like we hadn't seen more than like a 2 to 3% increase in parts in, in, in the couple of years before that, even through COVID, that it hadn't hit that hard. Um, so that that was really, really interesting. On, on the procurement side of things, uh, 
you know, we talked about the EV vehicles still getting delayed. You know, COVID's over, but the supply chain issues on for for buying vehicles hasn't improved really, and and we're seeing folks have to deal with it in different ways. Um, most folks have stopped kind of retiring vehicles. The average age across the industry went from a little over eight to about eight eight point eight years old, and that doesn't sound like a lot eight to eight point eight, but across an entire industry, that's actually a pretty big impact. Um, again, that was a statistic that was pretty steady um, vehicle average age at eight years for the for the past couple of years and really has jumped up recently because people have had to continue to hold on to those older assets. And that then starts to get into questions of, okay, well, you know, do I need more text to continue maintaining the older assets? Do I need to make do additional, preventative maintenance procedures to make sure that these older vehicles don't have breakdowns while they're, um, you know, in the crew's hands. Uh, so it's, it's been uh, a, a pretty complicated time for us. Sounds interesting. That's some, some great insight there. And then also like, I remember uh, back in the day uh, when you would ask utilities, if they outsource anything, uh, they seem to be very hands-on uh, resounding. No, um, what are you seeing? Has there been an increase in in uh, utilities considering uh, you know outsource oil changes and and light maintenance or tires or anything like that? So the the percentage of outsource has been pretty constant, around twenty percent industry wide. Uh, that usually doesn't tell the whole story because um, it's not like every company in the industry is outsourcing that that twenty percent. Uh, when we see it is a lot of times it depends on the service territory that the utility company is in. So if they are a large service territory with a few number of centralized garages, it makes more sense for them to outsource the maintenance work to a mom and pop shop rather than having the the operator drive the vehicle back to the centralized location. And those are the companies that have really high outsourced maintenance practices um, that we work with. And usually they're around you know, 50 to 60% outsourced maintenance. On the other end of the spectrum, we have folks who have, who tried as best as they can to bring everything inside. And then the only thing that winds up being outsourced is, is the light duty stuff like you mentioned. And, and those folks hover around, you know, five to, to 10% uh, outsourced maintenance. Hmm. It's interesting insight. Um, so let's, let's get back to your sweet spot uh, technology. And uh, if you look in the crystal ball, uh, what kind of fleet technology do you see coming down the road? I mean, AI is uh, the big buzzword these days. Um, is that going to impact fleet maintenance or just, you know, give us uh, a little insight into what, what's coming down the pipe? Uh, Gretchen's probably laughing at me because, you know, you got to be careful with buzzwords around me. I get on, you know, my soapbox and start rattling things up. No, no, like before chat GPT came out and everybody got AI on their brain, um, the, the lingo that was making the rounds was like predictive analytics. Right. Um, and, and I take issue with this term because if you look at what AI or a predictive analytics model would be trying to do is it would try be looking through and trying to say, okay, can we read, you know, certain information off the sensors on the vehicle to catch a repair that is needed before a breakdown actually occurs. But if you like, if you abstract that, that's what your preventative maintenance program already is. You know, we have fleet managers who for years knew that the vehicles would start to break down if we didn't do oil changes every 3,000, 5,000 miles, whatever it might be, right? So you've all been doing predictive analytics and, and you know, AI in a sense. You, you know, I, 
I, I jokingly say you can do any, if any manual task that you can do, you can say that you trained a neural network to do it, right? You know, it's your own brain. So um, I joke on that a little bit, but it is it is a big topic. We see folks going kind of two ways on it. One, AI is really good at classification type problems. So from our perspective, that's really interesting. You know, at from a benchmarking company, we've already had to do this with the vehicle classes, right? To go in and say, is this a bucket truck, right? And And we have to do that in order to make a good comparison across the industry. What's interesting for us is if we can do the same type of thing for the work orders, right? There are industry standards for how you name work orders, the BRMS codes. I'm sure there's other codes as well. The issue we run into is nobody uses them very well because, right, the mechanics just write whatever they want into those open text fields to to try to indicate those work orders. But if we can develop, uh, leverage AI to actually categorize those units across the entire industry, right, that unlocks some pretty powerful analytics because at that point we can start to say, okay, across the industry, how are all these companies PMing their vehicles? Not just their policy, for PMing their vehicles, but their actual practice. And do we see differences in performance based off of those differences in practices in, in, in PM? Like, does one company have more breakdowns later on in the vehicle's life? And can we correlate that to the PM schedule that they're following? So I think that's like a really interesting opportunity for us to leverage some of that technology. Yeah. And I know that Utilimark is very involved with uh, EUFMC, the Electric Utility Fleet Managers Conference. And uh, when I'm there, uh, sometimes they have legal people come in and there's been a discussion about who owns the data. Is it the fleet manager? Is it the OEMs? Is it Utilimark? You know, uh, can you shed any light on, on what's going on in this area or subject? I, I'm, it's not my area of expertise, and I say that fortunately, right? Because it's I, I like to play with the data, and and the legal team, you know, sometimes ties your hands. I know the one thing that folks are really concerned is always about is your personal information, right? They don't want anybody to be personally identifiable with with the information, especially if you're a municipal organization. Everything that you do would be subject to a Freedom of Information Act request, and and they're really conscious about releasing any of that information. Unfortunately, that's about all the insight I have um, with with the the legal um, aspect of of the data that we collect. My my work usually is further down the food food chain than that. Well, you know, that happened to me actually on this business trip. I rented a SUV and uh, the manufacturer wanted me to download an app on my phone. And uh, I, I kind of felt like they were could tap into my one on my information. So I kind of, yeah. so I don't know. They want all your contacts. They're going to start sending all your friends, you know, advertisements for the same type of vehicle. You know, that's exactly what crossed my mind. I don't know. Maybe we all need to be a little more paranoid. I don't know. Yeah. So, well, listen, you guys have been a great guest. Um, you have really given us some insight, uh, knowledge on, um, you know, how, how telematics can be used and also, um, some good bear advice too. So, um, I want to thank uh, Paul Milner of uh, Utilimark and uh, Gretchen Reese uh, also of Utilimark. Do you guys have any any final comments or any final final advice before I sign off here? Uh, Orange Crush, you know, for all your bears. Maybe maybe don't bring it on your camping trip now that we know that they like it. They will get into it. Yes, if you leave any type of cooler out, no matter what, they absolutely will. 
especially in Cook County in northern Minnesota. That that's that's good advice. I'm going to take that up on that. So this is Kurt Moreland, associate publisher with Utility Fleet Professional, reminding everybody to roll safe out there. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of utility business media and its employees. It is strongly recommended that you discuss any actions or policy changes in your company.